on this episode of Money with Friends, why you may not realize exactly how volatile the markets still are and why that is so dangerous. It is Saturday, July 11th. This is Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast. I am certified financial planner, Bobby Rebell, host of the Financial Runner podcast, coming to you from beautiful Lake Mayapak in Putnam County, New York. And coming to you from beautiful, as long as you're in air conditioning, Dallas, Texas, <laughs> where we're making episodes of the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihai. This is the Money News Show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape. We break those stories down into what matters to you, our friends, and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. Uh, today's show is brought to you by NordPass. Get rid of password stress forever. Let the NordPass password manager remember all your complex logins, autofill online forms, and generate strong passwords, all stress-free. You can download NordPass free and get a free month by going to nordpass.com forward slash MWF. Bobby, today we're talking about the stock market. I don't know if you know this, but the stock market has had quite a run since that March uh, horror story. Yeah, that was so scary for so many people. I mean, I tend to think I have a really high risk tolerance, but the truth is, even though I'm not sure I said it on the air, I was pretty freaked out in March. By the way, do, was. by the way, do you remember March? March? If doesn't that feel like 2012? It feels so. Well, we're in this new world, and I remember. I mean, there were shows where I just. When the, I remember when when we first started talking about the coronavirus, we really had no idea, no idea what was coming. We knew it was something that got people sick. We knew old people were vulnerable and that was kind of it. And I mean, I remember we talked about, you know, the idea of quarantining for a week or two, like yeah. pack a go bag, literally yeah. pack a go bag. You might be home for a week. Yeah. Buy just, some tuna, tuna fish cans. Just go camping like Sarah does. Who's hanging out with us while I make this yeah. show. Yeah. I just mean, we, we were really camping. so, I don't even want to say we were naive because this is so unprecedented in every, in literally everyone that's alive's lifetime, unless you were, maybe alive in 1918, which is possible, but those people are probably, they were really probably very young at the time. So they might not remember so many details. Well, while yeah. all this uh, weirdness has been happening, the stock market's done nearly nothing but go up. Does that mean it's time to get back in? Bobby and I will share a story from Market Watch. Let's see which one of our friends is going to help us kick this off. This is David. And this is John. We're the hosts of the Queer Money Podcast. Headlines ripped from the financial press only at Money with Friends. So as you mentioned, this is from MarketWatch and it is by Steve Goldstein. The surge from the March lows masks how volatile stock markets still are. All right. And it talks about earlier um, last week that uh, we broke a remarkable run of five straight gains of at least half a percent by the S&P 500. How remarkable? Michael Batnick, director of research at Ritholtz Wealth Management, calculates that it is roughly once in 2000 days likelihood, given that the S&P 500 has gained at least half a percent, about 28 percent of the time going back to 1993. The other times this happened was 2011, 2009, 2008 and twice in 1999. All periods of above average volatility. His point is that while investors may not be viewing conditions as volatile after the recovery that sent the S&P 500 up 41%, wow, from its March lows, markets still are choppy. The reason for this, stating the very obvious, is that volatility feels much better on the way up than on the way down, Betnick says. 
The moral of the story is that volatile markets force investors to learn or relearn our true risk tolerance, excuse me, our two true tolerance for risk. And even if you're invested through periods like this before, sometimes we need a reminder of what risk feels like. And I guess to kick this off, Bobby, I love this idea. Back when I was a financial planner, people, when markets were going up, always said, I have a very high risk tolerance. And it was usually those same exact people who were the first ones to call me when the market went down going, what's our strategy? What are we going to do? The answer is we 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 don't react. We create a plan ahead of time. But, uh, yes. but that's that's something different. It's hard though. I mean, I think that we have to have a lot of empathy for people that were really freaked out, as I was just saying in March when the markets were taking a dive. And you're looking, you're saying, you know, we. It's very easy to say you should be 100% invested in cash if you have 30 years, so you're going to need the money, and really many much more till you need all of the money, because we always have to remind people when you retire, you're not going to just take it all out that day. It's not a hard out. It's, you know, it's, that's kind of a TV term to commercials, but anyway, it's not like you're pulling all the money out at one time. You're going to, it's going to be a trickle out as you live your life. So, you know, people say, Oh, you could be a hundred percent in cash. I mean, a hundred percent in stocks, but what people have to remember is that you also need to make sure that not only do you have an emergency fund and all those things, it's also okay. And this is something I had to really come to terms with to have a cash allocation within your investment portfolio. And maybe that cash is in money markets, which can get you a smidge more. Maybe it's something that's on the short end of the yield curve. We can talk about fixed income a little bit, but hundred percent stocks, it doesn't have to be that much that's not in stocks, but it maybe there's some idea that we should talk about if you really realized in March that you don't have the risk tolerance that you thought you did. And I honestly experienced a lot of that. I was like, whoa, maybe I want to have one more month, you know, emergency fund level money in my portfolio that's in money market or very short term fixed income. Maybe I'm going to feel better and sleep better at night. Not a huge percentage, but asset allocation is something that you, you should not be reacting when the market's going down, but you should learn when the market's going down, what's actually going on with your risk tolerance? I, th I think that you bring up a couple of really great points. I, I, I like the point about 100% stocks because historically, 100% stocks, if you've got a long-term goal, is the way to get there. The problem isn't the markets, though, Bobby. It's you, right? Mm -hmm. It's you going exactly. in because it's such a flipping roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. So I is it, so I like that. And, and I like the fact that you're worried about your risk tolerance. But the other thing that I think is, is that when we talk about risk tolerance, I think personally that a lot of these risk tolerance quizzes that people take are baloney. Um, I agree so much. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Cause the first question you should ask, I don't think is how much risk can you take? It's how much risk do I need to take to reach the goal? And then look at the investments that have gotten you there historically to that goal. And then it's very, by the way, this is all easier than it sounds using sites like morningstar.com, a good third party site that shows you kind of Vanguard the volatility. Vanguard has a lot of stuff too. Yeah. Most of the asset yeah. management companies have some really cool tools that can show you what the roller coaster ride would have been like before. And, uh, and, and then ask yourself, can I can I stomach the amount of risk it's going to take to meet that goal? Mm -hmm. And if you can, I mean, then take the risk tolerance quiz, right? Don't take it up right. front because risk has to have some meaning attached to it, which what does this mean in terms of my retirement? A lot of people say, I don't like risk. And so they put all their money in really quote safe stuff. And because of that, they get very low returns. Well, it's not safe if you are effectively losing money though. Well, but that's what I mean is that there's a lot of people out there, Bobby, very safely going nowhere, 
right? Or, or really, you know, going negative. And the other thing that I want to add, I, I agree with what you're saying about taking your goal and working backwards. However, not everyone can reach that goal. And we do have all this marketing and ads that have this very utopian vision vision of retirement and everyone sitting on these beautiful chairs looking at the ocean. And that could be true for some people, but for some people, they might have a goal that's not in line with their risk tolerance. You have to kind of get honest with yourself about, okay, maybe it's going to be okay that I retire to the place that I love, but maybe I'm not going to be in as high end. Maybe I'm in a smaller home in that location, or maybe I can play with a different location and have a bigger home. You know, you may have to tweak the goal to meet your risk tolerance. I, t I totally agree. And that's why you have to start with the end, not with your risk mm -hmm. tolerance. Right. Start start with the end and what the goal is. Because back when, when I was doing plans, you know, there were people I'd meet with that would have that big goal that you're talking about. And I'd say, okay, here's what we need. You either need to save double the amount you can save in your 401k right now, and that their eyes would get all big, or we need to get like an 18% return. And I'll tell you as an advisor, we can't have that as an expectation. <laughs> like there's no, like, there's not th if you don't want to be scammed, right? There is no way that we're going to get that. So the goal has to change. And in some places people were able to still get the goal, but they get it very creatively. Like I'll give you an example. There was a woman that I worked with who wanted to have a house on the, sh the West shore of Lake Michigan, where there's all these just gorgeous, um, sunsets, almost like you're on the ocean, Bobby, because it was just so beautiful. But the problem is there was a lot of Chicago money that came up there and had these big, huge houses in these sleepy little towns on the West Michigan shore that nobody knew about. So when we started looking at the prices, of those houses, there was no way she was going to be able to afford it. So mm -hmm. what we did instead, she's very much a people person. She didn't have nearly the money it took. Instead, what she did, she bought a nice, beautiful Victorian house on a hill where she could see Lake Michigan, but she was across the street, had a gorgeous view. She still couldn't afford that house, but because she was a people person, she actually redid the house, turned it into a bed and breakfast so that oh. those, so that she was quote working, but she was working mm -hmm. in a way that she absolutely loved. So every day she got to wake up, she got to look out at Lake Michigan, like she wanted her, her mortgage essentially for about eight months of the year was zero because the tenants were paying it. She just had to cover the winter months when a lot of people didn't come there. So sometimes you got to think kind of creatively about the goal to get it. But, and that to me is way more important than, 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 than risk tolerance. I, I agree with that. Absolutely. And look, I think we have a lot of lessons that we're learning from, from the stock market. And one reason I chose this piece, by the way, one reason that I chose it is because we have very short memories as investors. So right now we have been generally in an upswing. We, we came back from the lows. We've had the markets, different indexes hitting record highs. So we feel good about it, but the truth is that could be very short term. We are in a very volatile period and there's a lot of dark clouds on the horizon, even if there weren't, but it is a fact that we have real economic pain coming. Just yesterday, we had an airline um, announcing that they could potentially furlough half their workforce yeah. when the government subsidies run out. So government subsidies, as of this recording, um, are running out in the summer. Um, unemployment, I think, by the end of July and then uh, other programs are wrapping up. We don't know what's coming in the pipeline from the government. And even if they subsidize a little bit longer. At the end of the day, a lot of these industries literally have to make systematic changes. I hope systemic, systematic, major changes. I mean, the restaurants, I mean, if we have to live another six months to a year with half capacity, assuming people even come, that's just going to create such economic pain for so many people. I mean, I have my hair colorist. So her salon is now open again. Okay, great. So I checked in with her yesterday. I said, how's it going? Because she was very worried because she used to be able to work as many hours as she wanted. And she could have basically three people at once. 
Now she can only have one person at a time. So no staggering. So she can do two people a day. And because they can only work at half capacity, she's only allowed to work three days a week in the salon. And so she was worried just about that. And no one, the problem now is that they're not getting even the customers to fill those slots because people are afraid. So you've got a double whammy. She, even at the new full capacity can't make ends meet. Can't do it. And she's worried and she's worried about how she's going to pay her mortgage literally. And she's been fine because she's a saver. She's a responsible person. She's been doing everything right her whole life. She's in, you know, it's just all the good things, everything we're supposed to do, but she's looking at the horizon and you might have an emergency funds that's three months, six months, but we're on lockdown in many areas for four months. Now, businesses have been closed in many areas for four months when we record this and it is not changing in a material way anytime soon. So what happens down there? So given that at a certain point, it is going to, it is going to have more impact on the stock market. I would think many of the stocks that are reflected in the big indexes are less impacted. That's part of why we see stocks going up, but all of this will eventually come together. And I, I would be very um, hesitant to say we won't continue to see volatility. Yeah. The big boys, mostly a lot of tech firms, right. That, that mm-hmm. are going to continue. People are going to people using technology more today yeah, than they were more in today March. Than ever. So that's the stock market, but it's yeah. not really reflective of, of the economy, the stock market. We've done that in other episodes. This brings up another thing though, Bobby, which is that during these periods of high volatility, that's when the stock market goes up, right? And people want to play these games where they get in and out of the market. And think about if you had been somebody that got out in March, if you were somebody that missed the downturn, but you stayed out because you saw how bad things are and you just talked about what the future might look like. And you know, you should always, even when things aren't like this, you should always plan for a, a, bad market, you, right? Expect the right. worst and hope for the best. I think if you plan that way, you do really well. But but if you if you missed this, imagine people that got out oh, near the bottom and yeah. now they missed this whole, and now, mm-hmm. and now they have to pray for something that doesn't happen all that often, which is they have to pray for the market to go way, way, way back down so they don't lose their butt and they can get back in. This is a great reason why you don't play that game. Why no. you just stay in and keep your asset allocation the way it should be. You don't. But I'm excited for Monday's show because we're actually talking about someone that did a lot of trading <laughs> during the pandemic and did really well. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. No, that's good. I, I mean, I, I I hope people tune in on Monday. I'm Make sure. sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the episode because <laughs> you're not going to believe this story. Uh, you and I are going to have some fun with this oh, one. Yeah. Hey, in just a moment, Bobby and I are going to have our takeaways from today's show, but want to say a big thanks to NordPass for sponsoring this episode of Money with Friends. As I mentioned earlier, you can get rid of your password stress forever by using NordPass. And if you've never used a password manager, I initially, Bobby, thought, I don't need to pay for one of these things. Right. But but then when I started using NordPass, I realized that, you know what? I'm using the same login for all different things for my bank. You get into one of my things back then. Yeah. You would have gotten into almost well, everything. And you know, I, I actually shared a story last week about what happened to me. I got hacked. Yeah. So you didn't you remember that? I yes. got hacked and they yes. got into everything, including my visa. And they uh, they bought, they went shopping. And fortunately, because I, I have the alerts on and I check my bills pretty frequently, I caught it. It was, I caught it before I could even report it as fraud. It was that fast that I was aware of it happening and I was able to stop. But 
Yeah, it was ugly. Nord, it was bad. NordPass is, <laughs> NordPass is a tiny fee. You can manage everything effortlessly. And, you know, if they go in, Bobby, and they go shopping, they're doing it in one account versus mm-hmm. in all of your accounts. Because if they get a hold of, of one account and they know what other accounts you have, let's say they went through your trash, as an example, and just found stuff that you didn't shred, well, guess what? Now they, if you use the same password everywhere, mm-hmm. you've you've got all that. For, uh, uh, for a month free, and you can also check it out. Head to nordpass.com forward slash MWF for more. Uh, nordpass.com forward slash MWF. Bobby, what's our big takeaway from today's uh, story? Hopefully it's that volatility is gone and we don't have to worry anymore. Sorry. Oh. On the way up, we think we have a lot of risk tolerance. Yes, I am looking in the mirror. I thought I was good. But remember that time in March, a few months ago, where the markets were plunging every day, my stomach was sinking right along with the market. What I why what if I was just thinking, like, what if I'm the last one holding the bag? What if I am the one who is totally foolish? What was the smart money doing? Should I do anything? You need to get honest and you need and thankfully I have Joe in my corner, so nothing like that happened. But um you need to get honest. And if you have, you know, if if you need to have a little bit more in cash or in money markets or a little bit into short-term investments, like you know, the short end of the fixed income curve to help you sleep at night, um, you can do that. It's okay. I mean, you could, you could, you know, in a planned way, you know, convert some assets from stocks if it made sense for you into that. But also maybe with new funds, you put it in there in some short-term investments or something like that. So you have, you know, a planned asset allocation so that you aren't freaking out when this kind of thing happens because it will happen again. And don't worry about the pressure. You know, it definitely mathematically is probably best for the average person to be 100% in in stocks for something like a retirement fund. But that doesn't mean it's right for you. And if you can't sleep at night or you are having that stomach turning that I was having in March, it's okay. You do you. Uh, I I totally agree with that. It's far more about you. And if you're going to blow up the plan later, Bobby, because you couldn't stomach it, it doesn't matter what is, quote, best, right? Mm-hmm. Best is totally in the eye holder. So I'm, I'm right there with you. My my takeaway j- just goes back to that that idea of risk tolerance. And this is where I think we all need to look in the mirror. When, when you talk about risk tolerance, do you talk about what risk you need to take to reach your goal? And then is your portfolio risk aligned with that? Or is it aligned with just how you feel? Because if you tell me, well, I feel like taking risk or I feel like not taking risk, those feelings blow in the wind. When the market goes up, you feel like, hey, I could take a lot of risk. Market goes down. I don't feel like I like to take a lot of risk. A lot of us, well, not all of us. I don't know a person who doesn't like a lot of upside, no downside. If we could find that, that'd be great, but it doesn't work that way. So start your risk tolerance quiz with what do I need? And if you haven't done that, I would take now to go back and begin that process. Because frankly, it's not very long. There's lots of calculators all over all the financial management sites, tons of free tools out there to do it. Start there. Don't start with a risk tolerance quiz or how you feel. Very well said. Well, thanks, Bobby. I try to keep up. My whole goal is to keep up. Hey, if people want to help us make these shows, where do they go? They can check out when we are recording on our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. And they can also join us on Instagram where we have them answer um, polls and quizzes. And then they can get a shout out during the show. Our Instagram handle is at 
what is it? Oh, it's at many friends pod. We yes. are also on Twitter at many with friends pod. And we also record this now on YouTube. So please follow our new, relatively new YouTube channel. We're going to be focusing a lot more on YouTube in the future. So please follow us on the YouTube channel for many with friends. Just search for it. You can find it. Yeah, if you're one of the people that has gone to Facebook in the past uh, and hung out with us there, we are no longer over there on the Stacking Benjamins Facebook channel. It's time, Bobby, for our little baby to grow up. Yeah, we may. Well, we may do a couple more shows on Facebook just to tell people there that we're moving. But basically, we're out. Yes, we're out of there. Yes, I go sign up on YouTube and join us over there. All right. She's Bobby. I'm Joe. We are back on Monday with the show that she foreshadowed a dude who made a ton of money in the stock market. It wasn't that barstool sports guy uh, doing it. It was <laughs> it was somebody on Reddit uh, uh, showing their trades. Well, that Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye bye. Joe's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at moneyfriendspod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Bam, nailed it.